Good morning. Welcome to worship. Thank you for gathering uh, with God's body of the church here at Meadowbrook this morning. Um, as many of you know, I'm not uh, Pastor Chris Jones. Uh, pastor Chris Jones, our pastor, his father-in-law passed away a few days ago. And so he and his wife, Ashley, have gone to Arkansas to be with family. Um, so if you would remember them in your prayers in the coming days. Uh, my name is Ben Birdsong. I am the um, student minister here at Meadowbrook, and I'm going to be leading us today through God's Word. Um, if you notice in your bulletin, there's notes and all that there. That is the sermon we are not doing today, so um, you can ignore that and just listen along. So let's pray, and we'll look at God's Word together. God, we thank you for this opportunity, God, to be in this place and to worship you. God, I pray that you would speak through me, that you would speak through your Word, God, that you would um, give us a longing for hope, a longing for heaven. God, we pray, especially right now for Pastor Chris and Ashley, God, that you would be with them, God, that you would encourage their hearts, that you would comfort them, and God, that as we look at your word today, that you would make us more like you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we approach this time of Advent, we come into a season of Advent, which is a time of arrival. Advent is a word that means to come into being, to arrive. And during this season, we celebrate the God-made flesh, Emmanuel. God with us, the Savior and the rescuer of the world. Yet as we begin this time of celebration, I think it's important for us to think of a context of the people that were waiting for that arrival. You see, the people of Israel found themselves in a time of silence. It had been almost 400 years since God had revealed his word to them. They find themselves once again as underdogs in a world where they're controlled by a powerful empire, the empire has shifted from the Medo-Persian Empire to the Roman Empire. But though the people are living in their land, they're living under a foreign power and being forced to do what the foreign power decides for them to do, and they live under their control. As people, we don't like to wait. It frustrates us to sit in traffic on 280, frustrates us to sit in drive through lines, and it frustrates us to be put on hold when we think about waiting, a lot of our waiting cannot compare to the waiting that the children of Israel went through. 400 years, generations being born, living, and dying with no foreseeable answer to the fact that God seemed silent, to the fact that God seemed distant, to the fact that God had promised hope that a deliverer would come, but as they looked around, the evidence pointed to the contrary the people have been promised throughout their journey that this rescuer would save them from their sins, would put the broken pieces of the world back together, who would bring hope. Yet after 400 years, for many, this glimpse of hope had simply faded into the darkness. When we think about the Christmas story, we're met with many different surprised people. The shepherds find themselves out in the field and an angelic vision occurs to them causing them to be surprised. The wise men were surprised that there was a star in the east that led them to the Christ child. And we cannot forget the most surprised of all, the teenage girl Mary, who has an angel show up to her and say that she's going to be the one who is going to be the mother of the God in the flesh, Jesus. Today, our focus word for Advent is the word hope. Biblically, we see hope clearly defined in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And as the author of Hebrews begins his chapter of biographies of the great men and women of faith, we find this verse, Hebrews 11.1. 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hope is the idea of this, that we're clinging to a truth that there's a different reality and a different future that exists beyond our current circumstances and situations. Hope is the idea that there's a different future and a reality that exists beyond our own present circumstances and situation. Hope is simply the belief that something better exists around the corner. That one day darkness will break forth into light. That after 400 years of silence and oppression, God will take on flesh and blood and rescue his people. Hope is that one day God will come back and make all things new. When we think about hope, an example of hope comes out of World War II. And during World War II, Hitler had taken many different people and put them in places called concentration camps and death camps. And what's interesting is in the research they've done on the people that survived this horrible situation, those that survived had one thing in common. They'd held on to hope. They could picture a reality for them and their lives beyond what they found themselves in. They could see life on the other side. They could see hope and the clinging to that hope allowed them to survive. In his recent book, A Crazy Holy Grace, Frederick Buechner talks about the power of hope and faith in the middle of a dark moment of losing his father to suicide when he was a young boy. And he says this, Faith is both in the dreaming and the crying. Faith is the assurance that the best and holiest dream is true after all. Faith in something, if only the presupposition that life is better than death, is what makes our journeys through time bearable. When faith ends, the journey ends. It ends either in the death like my father's or the living death of those who believe themselves to be without hope. We live in a world that needs hope more and more than we realize. In this season of Advent, we get to be a part of that hope. We get to dive into God's word and look at hope. And my hope is this morning that as we look at this story, we're going to look at the story of two people that we typically don't talk about at Christmas. Simeon and Anna. These people are hope holders. A hope holder is someone who holds out on hope. Someone who, when the rest of the world moves on and moves forward, still clings to hope. These people held the hope in the midst of the world that moved on. And so my hope this morning is that we would see through the stories of Simeon and Anna, people that held on to hope, and we would be encouraged to hold on to hope as well. If you have your Bibles, we're headed to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And today's passage falls in an interesting part in the Christmas story. Jesus has been born. The angels have come. Everything has happened that we typically think of happening in the Christmas narrative. And we find Jesus and his parents at the temple. And Jesus and his parents have come for him to be dedicated to the Lord. And it's here in this temple dedication that we see these two people who were hope holders, who never lost sight of hope. If you would stand, uh, we're going to read from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in spirit to the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do with him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And as his father and mother marveled at what was being said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold this, a child is appointed for the falling and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed, and the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phinuel from the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband for seven years, when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him of, of all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for these two examples of people that clung to hope. God, help us be people who are hope holders. And people who see your hand at work even in moments when it's hard to see. God, speak this today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can grab a seat. Background of this passage. Jesus is being brought to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord. This dedication of the firstborn was commanded by Moses. If you remember back to the book of Exodus as the children of Israel are leaving Egypt, uh, one of the final things that causes them to leave Egypt is a series of plagues that God gives to the Egyptians. And the last and final plague in that sequence is the death of the firstborn son of the Egyptians. The death of the firstborn son happens, and as soon as the people begin to go out of Egypt back into headed towards the land that God had promised them, Moses gives them this command that the first child, the first boy child that you would have should be dedicated to the Lord. What we see in this passage is we see Jesus' parents are devout. They're passionate about their own faith. They're willing to do what needs to happen. They're willing to come and dedicate their son to the Lord. And what we see is as they come, they bring this sacrifice, verse 24. It says they brought a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This shows that Jesus' family was very poor. What they brought was not an extravagant offering. What they brought was what they had. But they were devoted to the Lord. They were devoted to raising their son in the ways of the Lord. And so they come to the temple for this day of dedication. And when they come to the temple, they run into these two different people, two older saints who had been waiting, who had been longing, who had been hoping for the Messiah to come. And the first one we see is Simeon. Simeon is our first hope holder, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Notice that Simeon is described first and foremost as being righteous and devout. He sought to be faithful to the Lord. He sought to honor God in what he did. In the midst of a world that had moved on, he clung to hope and was faithful in the midst of that. He lived a life where people noticed his witness. Next we see that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting. 
He hasn't lost hope. He's seen the true future that awaits around the bend. He's not lost sight of hope. And then it says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is upon him. God is dwelling in him. He's leading him and guiding him and reminding him of that hope that waits around the corner. So we see Simeon, who's this man who is written about in a very positive and a very strong way. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he would see the Lord's Christ. He was given a promise by God, a promise of this hope that you're waiting on. You're going to see a glimpse of that. You're going to see this come to reality that the Messiah, King Jesus, is going to come as a baby. And one day he's going to walk in your temple. And when you do your normal thing where you dedicate babies, which I would imagine happens a lot, this will be one moment that's different than all the rest. Because the king of glory is coming in. Jesus the Christ is coming. He was promised that this hope would be there. Which leads him to see Jesus and to bless Jesus. It's interesting that God sovereignly put Simeon there. Out of all the days, out of all the moments, he wasn't on a lunch break. He was there. God had him there for this moment, for this time. And he turns to them and he takes Jesus and he picks him up, verse 28, and he says this, starting in verse 29, his blessing on the Christ child. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Simeon's blessing begins by thanking the Lord for keeping his promise that he made to him. He said, now I can depart in peace. I can die in peace and move on because, God, you have given me what my heart desired. You fulfilled the promise that I was waiting for. If you'll notice at the beginning, at the end of the first line of verse 29, he says, you're letting your servant depart in peace. The word servant, uh, we talked about two weeks ago when I preached um, out of the Paul's writings. But the word servant here is the word doulos, which is a slave. Simeon sees himself as a slave for Christ and for God. He's giving himself to God and he's worked hard for the Lord. And now that this moment has come, it's almost like he sees death as a retirement. I've done what you called me to do. Think about Paul's writing. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I've done what you called me to do. Simeon has peace and Simeon has hope. Because he knows that God has been faithful to him and God has showed him what he promised. Verse 30 and 31, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all the peoples. Simeon understands that Jesus is salvation. He understands that Jesus is the deliverer, the one that all of redemptive history has been pointing to, the rescuers in his hands. He's holding God himself. Even though there was 400 years of silence, God has been working a plan. His work didn't stop despite many people's views to the contrary. God was at work. He was on his throne. And God was working a cosmic plan of redemption even though so many people moved on and didn't long and wait for that. Next, verse 32, he said he's going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles for the glory of your people Israel. Simeon understands that this rescue is for the whole world. Jesus is coming not just for the select people of Israel, 
God is not just coming for the insiders to faith. God is coming for the whole world. And Simeon gets this, the beauty of the gospel, that the gospel is not just for a select few that are good enough, smart enough, religious enough, or grew up in the right background. The gospel's for everyone, and Simeon gets that. Verse 33, and the father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Mary and Joseph are amazed. Because at this point in the narrative, Mary and Joseph are still figuring things out. They've had this vision from God. They've had the angels come and talk to them. They've seen Jesus be born, and now they're trying to figure it out. And Simeon has pointed light to something even deeper. And then he turns to Mary. And it may be typical for a baby dedication to talk to the parents. And most of those moments of talking to the parents are a time of affirmation, a time of, may God bless you and God bless your kid and may great things happen in and through them. As Simeon turns to Mary, though, his charge to Mary is different. It's a different charge than he would normally give to most parents. He says three things to Mary. First, Verse 34, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointing for the falling and rising of many in Israel. The first thing he says to Mary is this, Jesus will lead to the falling and the rising of many. The word rise here is one of the same Greek words we get the idea of resurrection from, that some would rise, that there would be people who would realize that they needed a savior. There would be people who realized that they couldn't be good enough, smart enough, or religious enough to pull it off and that they needed a rescuer. And that this baby, this Christ child, would lead to the rising of those people. But it would also lead to the falling of others. Those who thought they had it all together, those who thought that their own righteousness earned the favor of God. The gospel reminds us that because of Jesus, we can have hope and we can rise. Or if we take our eyes off Jesus and try to do it on ourselves, we realize that we can never pull it off. Jesus brings a dividing line between those that he will rise and those that will fall because they will reject him. Next we see he turns to Mary and he says, For a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce you through your own soul also. Next he says that Jesus will be opposed and Mary will be hurt in the process. This is a picture of the cross. Hey, this baby you hold in your hands was born to die. And that picture of the sword going through the soul, the depths of who Mary is, is going to hurt and is going to ache because her son is going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. This baby is no ordinary baby. This Jesus came to die. Jesus didn't come to simply be a cute baby we look at in a manger at Christmas. Jesus didn't come simply to be a good example of how to live a good life and be a good person. No, Jesus came to live the life that you and I couldn't live. He came to die on the cross, the death we deserve to die, and to rise again from the grave to give us new life and to give us hope in him. Jesus would be opposed and Mary would be hurt in the process. And last he says this, so the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He said that Jesus would reveal true motives. Jesus reveals true motives. He knows the motives of every heart. You may be able to put on a face for others. You may be able to 
look a certain way or do a certain thing, but God knows our hearts and we can't hide from him. This baby would cause the rising and falling of many in Israel. This baby would be opposed and would go to the cross for the sins of the world. And this baby would reveal the true true motives of everyone. Simeon was a hope holder. He held on to hope. And he got to speak hope and speak life and speak revelation to Joseph and Mary. About this baby they held in their hands who was the king of the world. Which leads us to our second hope holder, Anna. Verse 36, we meet Anna. There's a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phinuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband for seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow, she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at this very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The description of Anna, it says that she was a prophetess. She was a prophetess. That means she was a female who was set apart for ministry to serve the Lord. She was a prophet who spoke on behalf of God. She was in ministry and God was using her. Next, she was an old widow. Her husband had died many years ago. She'd faced many personal tragedies with that and the pain of loss. Yet she remained faithful. And it says that she was a true and faithful worshiper of the temple. The phrase in there that she did not depart from the temple could mean one of two things. One, it could mean that she worked at the temple, that she lived there and that was her home. Or it could be a picture of her being someone who was there so much. She was there every time the doors were open. She was there praying. She was seeking God. What we know is that she was devout and prayerful and she centered her whole life around the worship of God. And in this moment, God sovereignly places Anna in there. Anna's not taking a break. Anna hadn't disappeared. Simeon's there. Anna's there. Those hope holders who are waiting on hope. Hope walks in the door and God has them in the right spot at the right moment. And when she sees him, verse 37, and coming up at that very hour, she gave thanks to God. And she spoke of him to all who were waiting of the redemption of Jerusalem. She knows that he's the Messiah. She knows that he's the Redeemer. She knows that he's the hope of the world and the hope that she'd been waiting for, the thing that was around the corner that she was hoping for was true. It was real. Simeon and Anna were hope holders. In the midst of a world that had moved on from hope, They decided to trust God and rest in the promise of a new day around the corner. When it comes to the time of Advent, it can be said of us that we stand as people in between two Advents. The first Advent is the birth of Jesus that we celebrate this time of year. And the second Advent is the second coming of Jesus when he will arrive again, bring his people home and make all things new. As we stand between these two advents, we're invited to join Simeon and Anna as hope holders. We stand as people who live for a position of hope in the middle of a world that has in many ways lost a glimmer of hope. But as you remember when hope comes from, hope comes from seeing yourself in another place around the corner, a place that is greater than the situation or the circumstances you find yourself in. We have an opportunity to be hope holders. We have an opportunity to point people to the hope that is found in Christ. That hope could be hope in the gospel for those who've never come to a place where they've placed their faith and their hope in Jesus. 
Or for those of us that have, that hope is the moment of waiting for that moment when he wipes every tear away from every eye and he makes all things new. This morning I want to close in Revelation 21 and look at a picture of what this hope looks like. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. John's vision begins this way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said this, Behold, I am making all things new. We're waiting for that day. Then when there's no more pain, when there's no more death, when all things are made new, when King Jesus returns. That's the advent we long for. That's the advent we hope for. That's the advent we live for. And we hold on to hope, realizing that around the corner, no matter how dark, how distant our circumstances may seem, hope, seem, hope awaits. I want to leave you with this. In the closing lines of the Chronicles of Narnia series, C.S. Lewis speaks of this longing for hope. The main characters have all died in a train wreck. And Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure of the novel, speaks these words that I want to leave with you today. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream has ended, and this is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them to be a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful, I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Let's pray. God, we thank you for hope. God, we thank you that around the corner hope awaits. And that you're a God who is trustworthy. You're a God who's true. You're a God who keeps your promises. And God, as we live in the middle of two Advents, celebrating your coming as a baby in a manger to die on the cross for our sins and longing for the day that you come back and make everything new. God, be with us. Help us to hold on to hope. Help us to be people who live lives of hope and point others to the hope that is found in you. God, we thank you that, even as Lewis writes, that our lives here on earth are only the beginning of the story that you're telling and the life that you have before us. God, help us to long for heaven. God, we thank you that one day you will return to take us home. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.